We're going to jump right into it today, and uh, we're going to be skipping around in our scripture quite a bit. Uh, we'll land in First Peter for a while, but uh, um, it'll be on the screen if you don't have a Bible or if you use an app. There's terrible, terrible reception in here, I think on purpose, because it's a middle school. Um, but uh, uh, there is, uh, uh, we're going to, we've been walking through this series right now as a church, our whole church, all of our life groups and our Sunday mornings are all about the same thing, talking through uh, marriage and what it is to uh, be married and what a a biblical or a godly marriage looks like. And uh, today we're going to talk about the the wife's role in that marriage. Um, Last week we talked about the men's role. And uh, so this week we'll be talking about the women. And uh, we'll be directly addressing uh, some of the things that uh, wives deal with or walk through in their marriage. Um, So, uh, let's talk. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5, uh, we read this last week, 22 to 33. This is Ephesians 5, 22. Um, this is what the Bible says. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Uh, and then Ephesians uh, five thirty three. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects uh, her husband. Um, there is this primary call in marriage that is spelled out in the scripture uh, for the wife to submit to the husband uh, and for the wife to respect her husband. Nowhere in the scripture is there a qualifier um, because some of you who are wives um, may not have super respectable (laughs) husbands. Um, It's just reality. But it doesn't show up in here. It doesn't have a qualifier. It doesn't say once your husband has earned it. When it talks about male headship in a marriage, it doesn't talk about the male earns it or the male deserves it. It talks about God giving this role as a gift. And then it talks about the wife being given this role as a gift in marriage. And we can talk about cultural things and you can, people can argue all day about this kind of stuff. That stuff belongs on Facebook where the drama lives. All right? What we want to talk about is what the scripture says and what it means in real life and how we actually practice these things. Now, if the wife's primary call in marriage is respect, uh, that's a significant shift. I know a lot of wives that talk about their primary call in life is to raise their kids or their primary call in life is their home. Uh, The Bible seems to say that your primary call in your marriage and in your family, if you're married, is to respect your husband and is to live in submission to your husband. Now that respect, uh, we are all the book that we're going through, this real marriage book, and we're watching DVDs in our in our life groups. If you're in a life group, if you uh, if you aren't, you need to get in one. I know it's late; there we're almost halfway through this series, but the life groups are really taking these to the next level. We're getting really, really good feedback from the life groups and the little DVD series and things like that. But um, Respect in this book, they, they use these words like respect means to notice or to regard or to honor or to prefer or um, defer to and to encourage and love and admire. This is what it means to respect these kinds of thoughts and these kinds of feelings. Um, and in the marriage, we talked about this last week, if the man doesn't take or doesn't receive the role that God has given him in his marriage then he's choosing his way as being better than God's way. So if the man isn't leading and loving, and leading and loving in a biblical way, then he's in sin. And if the wife isn't honoring and respecting and helping her husband, then she's living in a way that the Bible doesn't describe. She's choosing her own way instead of the Bible's way, which the Bible calls that sin. And so you have this, so you have this choice of living the way that the scripture teaches or living a way that the Bible calls sin. So men are to lead and to love. Wives are to help and respect. And I know culturally this isn't the most popular thing, but I want to talk about this. If the wife's primary calling to marriage is to respect her husband, then this shapes everything in her marriage. Wives, it shapes the way you disagree with your husband. It doesn't mean you never disagree with your husband, but it affects the way you disagree with your husband. It affects the way you counsel your husband. It affects the way you encourage your husband. It affects the way you live in submission to your husband. It is a shaper. It is not a job description. So helping and respecting. You see, the natural outcome of, of like 
godly male headship in a marriage is not a denial of the wife's rights. It's actually female fulfillment. And we've talked about this. When you have, you have different areas in your life, different relationships. If you're not married, you can recognize different relationships and areas in your life where you are living in submission to someone else or you're a helper to someone else, maybe in a job or a class or on a team, those kinds of things. You, if the leader is leading and loving, it's fulfilling. It's not a denial of your rights. And so the natural outcome of godly male headship in a marriage is female fulfillment. It's not a denial of rights. It's not a female being beaten down. It's not a female being uh, supervised. That's not what the Bible's talking about at all. A wife flourishes with a loving husband. And a husband gains a tremendous amount of courage with a respectful wife. You see, when the Bible is written, when it talks about, uh, when the part of the Bible was written about the beginning of everything, there was Adam, and then Eve was created as a helper to Adam. And a lot of people take this scripture and, and they try to say, so then there's men, and men are what God really cares about, and then women are the helpers. Like women's role in life they max out at this glass ceiling before God at the helper level. And that's not actually a terrible, terrible theology. Listen, there's two Psalms. I've got them printed here. Psalm 10 says this, But do you see, for you, and this is a prayer from the man who wrote this Psalm to uh, God, But do you see, for you note mischief and vexation, and, mm, and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you the helpless commits himself. You have been a helper, the helper of the fatherless. God has been the helper. The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look on triumph, in triumph, on those who hate me. If God is being described as helper, then we had surely not put helper on a lower level if we're considering the way that marriage works. The same word that's being used to describe God is being used to describe the wife. And so if we have this horrid theology that says men are preferred to women, then what we're saying is God actually doesn't prefer himself. And the universe implodes if you've taken any quantum physics. <laughs> it just, if you start to think, even for a second, men, that your role in leadership is supervision of your wife, then what you're actually doing is saying you need to supervise her God-given role. The role that God himself wants to play. The way that God wants to help you men in leading your families, if you're married, is through your wife that he gave you. That's how God wants to work. And God uses the same word to describe the wife as he does use to describe himself. Now that doesn't mean wives you get to go home and say, around here I'm just like God. Alright? <laughs> You can, I mean, I'm not in your home. You can try that. But in, we know this. The wife carries a tremendous, tremendous amount of power. I would say in general, for most men, their wife is the only opinion that actually matters. If your wife thinks you're good looking, who cares what everyone else thinks? Like, I only ever have to impress one person for the rest of my life. This is why we don't do sister wives. Too much pressure. <laughs> right? <laughs> there are other reasons. <laughs> but, but there's a tremendous amount. If you look at a husband who's brave, a husband who has courage, a husband who's able to lead, when I see a family like that, I assume right away that there's a wife who lives as a helper, a wife who enjoys seeing her husband be successful, a wife who lives in submission, a wife who goes to her husband and says, I don't know where we're going, but wherever you say we're going, I'm helping us get there. When I see a man who has courage, who leads with bravery, there's a natural assumption that he's got a wife that supports that courage and a wife that supports that bravery. Because the men aren't perfect. And your husband is going to make mistakes. 
If you've been married more than two days, you know this, right? They're not going to always do the right thing or always be perfect or always be impressive, right? But they will be courageous in where they're going if they know that someone believes in them no matter how it turns out. I see that. The, the wife's opinion matters. So wives, when you say something to your husband, you need to know that you're the only one they're listening to in general. And in a healthy situation, the wife carries the power of her words, the power of her attitude. This is why the wife is rightly described with the same words as God. Because God's opinion of me matters more than anyone else's opinion of me. And my wife's opinion of me, my helper's opinion of me, matters more than the opinion of anybody. So you've got this husband, if you're married, and you're a wife, and you need to respect him, but maybe he's not very respectful, or respectable. And so there's a couple of ways that wives try to get respectful husbands. The first way is to nag him into it, right? Try to beat him down until he's respectable. Try to destroy who he is so that he is who you want him to be. This is some people's view of religion as far as with God, right? Like God destroys our life until we're boring enough that God likes us, right? This is how some people view religion. God takes everything fun out of life until we're boring enough that God can handle it. Uh, this is, again, a skewed theology. If you're nagging your husband into respectability, you're not helping. You're destroying. If you're trying to beat your husband down into some kind of respectable core, take away everything that makes him who he is, so that you've basically got a girlfriend, then you've no longer got a man leading your home. The other way to get a respectable husband is to pray for him. This way actually brings life. This way actually says, hey, there's a future here. This way actually says, hey, I'm someone you might want to spend the rest of your life with. You can tell the difference. If you hang out with people, you can tell the difference between a husband whose wife is trying to nag him into leadership and a wife who's trying to pray him into leadership. If there's like one step, wives, like you, you might check out and stop listening to me. That's cool. Whatever. Listen to this one thing. You may need to respect the sermon more. But listen to this one thing. If you would pray for your husband, things would start moving in the right direction. If you would pray for your husband. Because the Bible... We all, and wives, I know this, you've been to like some silly retreat, or I call them silly because there's all these women there. And uh, you, you know, and they do the things that women do and, uh, and have a lot of feelings. And uh, <laughs> just like Manfest. But <laughs> feelings are outlawed at Manfest, I'm pretty sure. But, um, but there is this kind of, um, you get together, and, and they're always about Proverbs 31. Right, and, and if you know Proverbs 31, it's this description of like this perfect woman, you know, and uh, she's beautiful and she's hardworking and she loves the Lord and, and her husband is respected in the community and, and just it's amazing. Well, Proverbs also has several lists of of uh, what it of some terrible wives, like terrible terrible wives, and I want to read these to you. Proverbs was written by a guy, um, so I want you to know this: the woman. Uh, of folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. All right. Some women talk a lot, like a lot, and they talk really loud, right? And they actually don't know anything. Well, guess what? Husbands aren't looking for that. <laughs> okay, next. <laughs> Just a little tip. You can write this down if you want. Uh, it is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. So, women, wives, if you're quarrelsome, if, like if, you're, if you like picking fights and we asked your husband what's better being in a desert or being with your wife they pick desert All right. now if you're near them they're not going to pick that because you're going to pick a fight with them uh, this is great like a gold ring in a pig's snout 
is a beautiful woman without discretion. Some of you women are stunningly beautiful. But you have no discretion. And the Bible describes you as a pig with a gold ring in your nose. Good job. Proverbs 12. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. But she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. If you bring shame to your husband, if you are embarrassing to your husband, then it's like his bones are rotting inside of him. There you go. Little life verse. I'm just delivering the mail, right? <laughs> Proverbs 21.9 It is better to live in the corner of the housetop in the rain in Oregon than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. If your husband is frequently fixing the moss on your roof and you're like, I don't see any moss, this verse might apply. If it's better for your husband to be on your roof than to be in the house with you, then you're not a Proverbs 31 wife, you're a Proverbs 21 wife. A continual dripping on a rainy day, a cold rainy day, when the rain should go away, you know, and we had a little bit of sun and maybe there's hope. But a continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are the same. They are alike. So what are you like, wife? Does your husband feel towards you like you are a sunshine and a rainbow and a bouquet of flowers? Or are you quarrelsome? And when your husband thinks of you, he thinks, this weather is just like my wife. I hate it. I hate being in it. I dream of a day when it will change. They're funny, but they're real, aren't they? And I know it's a lot easier to talk about someone else. But you can identify your friends whose wives are quarrelsome. And they don't come over to your house that much. Or you work with people who their primary conversational topic is complaining about their spouse. And they never notice that they were the dummy that picked them. And so it says something about them. But anyways, when you're in a marriage... You have a choice about who you're going to be in that marriage. And wives are offered this role and this primary calling of respecting their husband in their marriage. And when they do respect their husband, there's an amazing result. A courageous, loving, leading man. When they don't, the Bible reaches as far as it can to describe what's that, what that's like. The Bible has these huge and embarrassing metaphors to describe a wife that's a burden. There's two kinds of kind of disrespect. And some wives are here and you're like, that's not me. I let him do whatever he thinks and I just keep my mouth shut. And I, I always say positive things to him and about him. But it's really, it's like a fake, it's like a flattery, right? There's first kind of like disrespect is this silent and compliant disrespect. It's this passive aggressive where you're planning to outlive him so that you can have a few good years at the end. That's, and that, it's like, this is this cunning secret disrespect and it happens in churches all the time where this wife just smiles and goes that's my husband and it's disrespectful even if you're saying positive things you're disrespecting the role that you have because you're playing a role instead of actually living a role you're pretending something and it completely lacks integrity And it's disrespectful of your husband. It's disrespectful of the role that God has offered to give you. It's disrespectful of the role that God has given him. Then there's this other kind of disrespect where there's this loud and contentious wife. Where she's just aggressively disrespectful to her husband. And you get into an argument and the husband says something and you blow up over him pointing out something. And you start to get mad because... 
Uh, it just, it's hilarious when you, when you see it, it's hilarious because the husband and the wife will be talking about an issue and then the husband will point out something that's actual sin in the wife's life. And instead of talking about that sin, the wife talks about how you hurt my feelings. And you change the subject really fast. If, if you have a disrespectful wife, you can't win an argument. You get into an argument and you're like, oh dang, how do I get out of this? Because we know this isn't going somewhere positive. Even if I'm correct, even if I have a genuine helpfulness, like I want to be helpful in this situation, if you're a disrespectful wife, you're actually manipulating the situation so your husband can never win an argument. If you ask yourself, over the last however many years in the arguments we've had, has my husband, husband ever been right? Because sometimes, you know, a blind squirrel finds a nut sometimes, all right? Sometimes husbands are right. This might be shocking in our culture too. Sometimes husbands are right. And if your husband is never right, the problem isn't your husband. The problem might be that you are so disrespectful that you won't let your husband be right. You won't let your husband help you grow. You might prefer to win and prefer to be right than to prefer to be led and prefer to allow God to use the person who knows you best to help you grow. If God has given you a husband, maybe he's given you a husband for holiness just as much as for everything else. The marriage relationship is the most sanctifying relationship that you'll ever have. And if your husband can't speak to you, then you've given up on a whole role of sanctification that God has given to you, that God has offered to you. Sometimes disrespect comes out when wives are talking in front of their children. Oh, that's your, that's your dad. Oh, your dad just this, your dad just that. Sometimes, and I want to, this is a sidebar. Some of you are wives who are here are, are divorced. And some of your husbands that you've divorced, you're right. <laughs> and the things you think about them are probably correct. And it is incredibly challenging to think about the way that you speak about your children's father. And, and I know this. This is real. We've had these conversations. And I, I've never lived this situation, but we've had this talk. And when we think about the way that we speak about our children's father, when you say, your dad this, your dad that, you're actually teaching your children something. You're teaching them to separate from their father. You're teaching them that, that the role of father the role of husband. And let me be clear. If you're in a divorce situation and your husband has abdicated that role, then he's sinning. And that's true. Alright? And your husband has said, no, I'm not. I'm walking. Alright? And I know divorce is complicated and messy. In the marriage, if you're still married and you're talking bad about your husband in front of your kids, what you're doing is passing on a legacy of unbiblical, terrible marriage so that your sons will grow up knowing that someday I'm going to be an idiot father because that's what men are my mom told me they won't be able to voice that but they'll know it your daughters will grow up knowing that husbands are these this necessary burden that you have to that you have to have one but they're they're not preferred and they're not for happiness and they're not for holiness and if you're disrespecting your husband to your children, even in little underhanded remarks, you're teaching them something. And they're going to carry that out in their marriage, and their kids are going to carry that out in their marriage. When we talk about marriage, we're not just talking about your marriage as an individual. At the Grove, we're talking about leaving a legacy behind us so that my children grow into the Lord because of the environment that I've set up for them. So my children understand what the scripture teaches because we live it. They don't just hear about it in Sunday school. Now wives, 
This might be, this is great, um, because there are some wives who are loud, and there are some wives who are quiet. And when we talk about that you can be disrespectful by being compliant and silent, and you can be disrespectful by being loud and contentious, you say, well, that's just the way I am, and you're a man, and you don't understand me. Okay, yeah, that's true, I don't understand you. I don't understand why you take this way you are, and use it as an excuse for biblic- like unbiblical behavior. I don't understand that. And if you say, um, it's just the way I am, it's usually this, uh, uh, I'm, it's a strength remark. I'm a strong woman, and I'm not going to change. It actually reveals a weakness in you, because you have sin in you, because you prefer just the way you are to just the way that God designed you to be. You prefer remaining the way you are, than being who God dreams of you being. It's just the way I am. When people say that to me, I hear, I am weak and sinful, and I believe in myself more than I believe in God. That's, there's a translation from the woman language to reality language, which is a major husband skill. But <laughs> there is this, it's just the way I am. What you're saying is, what God has to say to me, I'm not interested in. Because, and maybe God even made me this way. I'm loud and I know nothing. Deal with it. And the Bible says, men, go to the store and get some anti-moss. Because you're going on the roof. (laughs) This is the way that women talk about their disrespect. You see, if, if you're wondering if you respect your husband, there's one person that you need to ask. And you're married to them. If you're married today, and you're trying to evaluate if you respect your husband, the husband gets to make the call on this. You might say, I am respectful. But it doesn't matter how you interpret respect. If he's not hearing respect. It's the same way that you get to make the call on the husband serving the wife. And the husband loving the wife. The husband doesn't get to say, Yes, I love you. I said so when we got married, and I'll tell you if that changes. Right? If the wife is okay with that, it's okay. (laughs) If the wife is not okay with that, it's not okay. The husband doesn't want, I respect you, at the beginning of your marriage. He wants to hear this thing in a way that makes sense to him, not maybe in a way that makes sense to you. You might even think, that has nothing to do with respect. If it does for your husband, that's what you need to do. Communication isn't the words that come out of our mouth. It's the words that come into our ears. And the words and the the actions and the feelings and the attitudes that are being received, those are what matters. Not what you think you're projecting. And so if you want to know if you're respectful, you go and ask your husband. And the strong wife... The godly wife is able to sit and listen and to grow. Some of you might sit down with your husbands later and say, how am I disrespecting you? And it's going to be the most terrifying moment in your husband's life. (laughs) Because you're an angry and loud and contentious wife. Or you're a silent and compliant wife and he's going to say something and you're going to say, all right, I'm going to passively, aggressively beat you down because of what you said. Asking your husband, how can I respect you? How can I show that I respect you? There are times, you know, Heather and I are married, you know that. And there have been times when we've been out and a wife does something and I lean over to her and I say, hey, I'd appreciate it if you never did that. <laughs> she goes, all right. <laughs> a wife will do something that I, I interpret. And her husband might be cool with it. That's why I didn't marry his wife and I see something that I interpret as incredibly disrespectful because of where I'm from, because of my culture because of who I am, my family of origin all those kinds of things and the respectful wife says alright, you interpret that as disrespect I won't do that and, and what I interpret as disrespect that's what matters what I interpret as respect that's what matters 
That's the way to respect someone, to ask them. And really, wives, you don't even need to like vocalize this thing. If you respect or don't respect your husband, it doesn't matter that you say it or don't say it. It might like you might be like, well, at least I haven't embarrassed him. At least I don't. I'm not. I'm not loud, or I don't flatter him. If you are thinking disrespectfully or feeling attitudinally about your husband in a disrespectful way, he knows it. He might not even know that he knows it, but he feels it and he lives in it. There's this uh, great little scripture, uh, Philippians 4 8. Uh, and if you've never memorized scripture, this is always a great one to start with. Listen to this. Uh, it's the end of Philippians, which is a letter written to the people who lived in Philippi. Have uh, we got it? Oh, yeah. It says, Finally, brothers, uh, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I think this is a great instruction if you're married and you think about this, when you think about your husband, these are the things you think about. Is there anything true? Anything? Probably. Is there anything honorable? Anything pure? Anything commendable? Anything? You think about those things. And then, when you think these things on your husband, there's actually, in the Mark and Grace Driscoll, who wrote this book, and, and the DVDs that we're watching, they actually say, wives, start to keep a journal of these things. You know how Oprah tells you to keep a journal where you write down happy things? <laughs> Maybe keep a journal about your husband. Get a book. Or get a piece of paper. Or maybe even just keep it on your phone. And whenever you think of something honorable, something just that your husband does, my husband got up and went to work today. Score. There you go. All right? Or maybe my husband just got up today. Didn't go to work, but at least he got up, you know? <laughs> my husband cooked for us tonight. Amazing. All right? It tasted terrible, but he tried, right? You leave the tasted terrible part out because that's not honorable or commendable at all. It wasn't not excellent, but he tried his effort, all right? You write these things down and you keep this journal and you start to feel discouraged about where you're at, discouraged about how can I respect my husband. You've got a whole list you can go back to. Then you start taking that list and sharing it with your husband. For real. The first time your husband does the dishes... You tell him, just so you know, that's the greatest thing you've ever done in the history of the world. I love you more than anything, and you are the greatest man who's ever walked on this earth. I promise he's doing the dishes tomorrow. All right? And he's sitting there like, dang straight, I'm the greatest man that's ever walked this world. Because your opinion is the one that matters. So when you tell your husband he's excellent and he's praiseworthy, when the wife tells her husband that, no matter what his boss has told him all day, no matter what his coach has said, no matter what his report card in school says, no matter what his stress level says, no matter what he feels when he looks in the mirror, there's someone that he believes more than anyone who lives in his house who thinks he's hot stuff. I do the dishes in our house. I've done them for 12 or 13 years. I kind of like it <laughs> because there's someone who thinks it's awesome. And so I do it and I keep doing it. I wear an apron. <laughs> yeah, I do. It glows in the dark. My kids made it. It's probably embarrassing. People come over and I'm wearing my apron because I'm doing the dishes and I'm like, whatever. You might think I'm a loser, but there's someone here who thinks this is the greatest thing in the history of the world. I love my apron. It keeps the water from getting on my clothes. <laughs> but... I don't know. I just think if you're a husband, you should have an apron. But <laughs> If you have a Bible, flip to 1 Peter 3, all right? We've talked a lot about the way that wives get off track. And I want to talk about some positive things for wives. I want to take a little bit of a turn here, all right? And we talk about this and we talk honestly. I'm not trying to berate wives. I'm not trying to say negative things about wives. What I'm saying is... 
This is what the truth is, and this is what reality might be in your life and in your marriage. And you might have sin in your life, and you might be unrepentant, and you might be disrespectful, and it's just a rut that you've gotten into, and you don't have to live that way. And you don't have to be settled with that. And it matters not whether your husband is respectable, or whether your husband is fantastic or not. Your role is something that God's offered to give you because he believes that you can play this role. This is 1 Peter, um, written by Peter, who was one of Jesus' closest friends. He says this, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry and the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy woman who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. It's a key issue that I want to talk about for a second because some of us are here today and, and, uh, and you have an unbelieving husband. Some of you wives, you come every week, you're in a life group, you serve and you love God and your husband doesn't believe. And I want you to know, first of all, that you're not alone and you're not unique. This was written just a few years, a couple of decades after Jesus walked this earth. So from the beginning of Christianity there was an experience where wives were being subject to their own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word they may be won over. From the very beginning this question came up. I've decided to become a Christian and my husband isn't. Or I've decided to follow Jesus and my wife doesn't want to. And the Bible actually talks about that they may be one without a word, but by the conduct when they see your respectful and pure conduct. I want to say this, and I want to say this in all seriousness. Wives, if you have an unbelieving husband, or husbands, if you have an unbelieving wife, God has entrusted you to show them the gospel. And God loves them just as much as he loves anyone. Maybe even more so because he's given them someone to live in their house to bear witness of the love of Jesus to them. And there might be frustrating for you. You might feel lonely. I think you've got an incredibly high calling if you live with an unbelieving spouse because God has given your spouse a gift in you to live in his or her house with them and show them the gospel day in and day out. This is what the gospel looks like getting up in the morning. This is what the gospel looks like making dinner. This is what the gospel looks like taking out the trash. This is what the gospel looks like forgiving and supporting and loving and helping and leading. And if you're in that kind of a situation, when they see your respectful and pure conduct, They cannot deny the truth of the gospel. They can refuse to accept it. It's a free choice that people have. But they can't deny the truth. And then the scripture teaches wives, in general, uh, can you flip to the next slide? It teaches wives not to let your adorning be external, like the braiding of hair. (laughs) You can tell a man wrote this, because braiding of hair seems incredibly complicated. Right? (laughs) And if your wife goes away and you try to braid your daughter's hair, it it usually does not go well, right? Normally it's like, do you have a hat? Because that might be a good that might be a good thing to do today. Braiding seems like women are magical and sometimes they do braids that look different. It's it's amazing. And the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be internal. Because this is what the holy women do. Now, let me be real here. Some woman and uh, um, some Christian women take this and go really far with it. And no longer brush their hair. 
and no longer adorn themselves on the outside at all and they think that they're serving God and their husbands are not able to say anything about this they have this scripture on the wall and they're like no I'm not wearing your wedding ring to the gym (laughs) yeah you are (laughs) there is this kind of balance that needs to take place because actually taking care of yourself is an honorable thing so we're not outlawing hair braiding we're not outlawing makeup or colorful clothing or whatever all right Uh, we're not going to find rules in the scripture what we are going to say is women consider the time or the effort that you put into your external and then consider the time or the effort that you put into your internal self because you uh, this is I'm going to quote Duck Dynasty here and that's just my problem but makeup covers a lot of evil (laughs) that's the dad I don't know his name because I don't know anything but uh, he's teaching his grandson how to find a wife it doesn't matter what she looks like if she can cook is rule number one rule number two is that makeup hides a lot of evil all right young men you can write that down but there shouldn't be middle school Sunday school today this is good stuff but um, but wives you can put a lot on the outside and it doesn't hide who you are on the inside a beautiful woman with no discretion is like a pig with a gold ring in its nose this is what the Bible teaches ask yourself how much money do I spend on my external adornment because your heart follows your money and how much do I actually invest in my internal self this is an important thing to think about and it doesn't mean you shouldn't look whatever it doesn't mean that what it means is your inner self reveals itself no matter how much you work on your outer self. And the holy woman of old thought about their inner selves and adorned their inner self. So their planning and their effort. You get up early and you get up earlier and earlier so that you can look a certain way when you walk out that door. But you won't get up earlier and earlier to spend time with the Lord and work on your inner self. That's a value statement. That's an adorning statement. That's saying, I'm going to do this and I'm willing to sacrifice my sleep for this, but Jesus can wait until I'm well rested. It's an interesting thing to want to say to Jesus. Um... I'm not sure you want to get to heaven and say, well, Jesus, now I'm ready. Now I'm in my glorified body, so I look all right. Let's talk. The scripture points women to this because the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. In our culture, that word submission has a domineering kind of meaning. In the scripture, it has a courage-giving meaning. When you submit to your husband, your husband will begin to live in his role in a way that you might not have ever seen him do. Or he might not. There's no guarantee in the scripture that if you do what the scripture teaches, something will happen to your husband. Or husbands, there's no guarantee that if you start leading and loving that you'll want to come down off the roof. (laughs) There's no promise. Except that God has given you a role and God promises that the life he offers you is the best life that you could possibly imagine. Maybe not the easiest. Maybe not the happiest. But the best. And you'll get to the end of your life and say, that was the best that I could possibly imagine. Wives, some of you are going to hear this and you're going to say, now, I need to work harder at this idea of respect. Some of you are going to think this. You're thinking, and maybe you're planning right now, I need to be more respectful by doing these things, right? 
I need to get a book on respecting my husband, written by someone else's husband. I need to go to a Bible study and watch a video series on this in a small group. This is not... Please don't do that. I'm not asking you to work harder. I'm asking you to ask the one person that matters. Don't ask someone else's husband who wrote a book about it how I can be more respectful. There's one person that matters about how you can be more respectful and you're married to that guy. Don't get into a group and start sharing prayer requests about your unrespectable husband. Because this is great. This tends to happen where these wives get together. Men do this too, but wives will get together and it looks a lot holier. Men do it and it's really gruff and we can tell it's sin. Women get together and they say, let's have a prayer circle and we'll all share the terrible things about our husbands and then pray for them. That's not respectful. That's gossip circle, all right? Please don't call that prayer. It's not, all right? Because you're sharing the terrible things about your husbands for a half hour and then you pray for five minutes. That was a great prayer time. It's not. It's a horrid therapy session to a bunch of people who aren't therapists. Who have horrible husbands too and you shouldn't be learning from them. Right? Don't get together. Don't start thinking, hey, I need to take all these steps. Husbands, I think I might be disrespectful of you. So I'm leaving to go hang out with these other people. If you want to be respectful, you say to your husband, hey, how do you feel that I'm good at respecting you? How do you want me to respect you? Can you talk to me honestly? See how long it takes them to answer. Can we do this? Now, this is a marriage series, but if you're single, I want you to be listening to this for real, alright? Because some of these, sometimes, wives with unrespectable husbands go and try to find single friends because the single friend's life looks better. And if you're single, you will have a voice into a wife's life sometime. If you're single, you might be living in a way that's disrespectful to a possible future spouse. Maybe God has something for you in the future, and the way that you're living your life is disrespecting that man, or if you're a man, it's disrespecting that woman. If you're giving yourself to someone else, you're disrespecting and you're not even married to that person. Or if you're single and you're not living the way that God leads, you're disrespecting God's word. You're disrespecting God himself. So this isn't like if you're single here, you get to say, okay, I get to check out of everything. I like these Sundays where there's no, no conviction for me. It matters just as much. Because respect isn't an issue that's ju- that all of a sudden shows up for wives. If you are married and you're a wife here today, we're going to worship and the, we've got kind of some slower songs. And some of you might need to have a conversation some of you, uh, ladies, it would be the first step in respect if you would save the awkwardness that your husband's going to feel when you get in the car and ride home. Your husband's going to need to say, uh, so what did you think of that sermon? Well, what did you think of that? Right? No. <laughs> if you want, that is a disrespectful, manipulative way to treat your husband. Avoid that awkward ride home with your husband. And sit down and say, hey, why don't we talk about this? Why don't we get together? Why don't we go home, feed the kids, put them in the yard? (laughs) (laughs) Now we're not allowed to do that. Put them in front of the Xbox or whatever. Turn on some Duck Dynasty. But you need to go first, wives. Some of you might need to go first, like right now. Like maybe we've been reading the scripture and God's been speaking to you. You need to have that conversation now. And if you need to have that conversation now, have that conversation now. If you need to leave because you can't hear each other, leave. All right? You need to take your kids with you. But you can... (laughs) We... This isn't a message that I want, just like we talked about with the husbands last week. This isn't a message that you go, yeah, I need to be more respectful. This is a message that you need to have a conversation about.
You're going to have conversations in your life groups, but you need to have a conversation with the person, wives, who you've been given to respect and help, just like God. You're described in a way that carries a tremendous amount of importance and your primary calling in your marriage. Don't neglect it. Don't let it be something that your husband has to bring up. Go first and take some initiative in this. Let's pray together. And we can stand. If you need to talk to your spouse, you can sit and talk to them. Let's all stand up while we pray. But if you need to talk to your spouse and have that conversation, you can have it here or you can go out in the hallway or whatever you need to do. We want to create that space. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for speaking to us. We thank you for believing in every wife who's here. For those who are single, we ask that you would give them the ability and empowered by your spirit to respect you, to respect themselves, to respect a possible future spouse that they may not know. God, for those who are married, we pray that you would lead us to repentance. Allow us to see the sin in our lives and allow us to move into the role that you've offered us, our primary calling in marriage. If we've entered into this lifelong relationship with someone, God, some of us are in situations that carry a tremendous amount of pain right now. Some of us are married to unbelieving spouses. Some of us are married to spouses who are hurting us. Some of us, when we talk about marriage, it's a painful conversation, not a joyful conversation. In all of that, God, I'm praying that you would meet us right now. I'm praying you would bring healing. I'm praying that your spirit would bring counsel and empowerment to live into what you have for us. It might not look the way we think it should. It might not happen the way we hope it would. But God, live with us. God, be with us. And God, lead us to be a generation that establishes a legacy so that our children, the children of the grove, the children's the grandchildren of the grove would know the roles that God has given them. They would know what it is for the men to lead and to love and for the women to respect and to help as God himself is our helper. By your grace we pray. Amen.